Hey friends, welcome back. Um, as we continue through the Gospel of Luke, getting into a new chapter, chapter 20, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem uh, pretty early in what we call Holy Week. Um, Jesus has had some controversy. He's created some controversy. Yesterday we looked at the text where Jesus cleanses the temple, um, certainly putting him at odds with religious leaders. We're going to kind of pick up on that theme today, maybe a little less um, obvious conflict, maybe a little less passionate, but um, we see here that this kind of growing animosity between Jesus and the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders is is back on display in Luke. So let me jump in here, verse 1 of chapter 20, then we'll come back and have some discussion. One day he was teaching the people in the temple and telling the good news. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and said, Tell us by what authority you do these things. Who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I'll ask you a question and you tell me, did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? They discussed it with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us. They're convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. Then Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing those things. Uh, kind of a classic, a classic story here about Jesus. Um, there are a number of these stories scattered throughout the Gospels where the, the religious authorities a trap, um, set a trap for Jesus. They approach Jesus with kind of a no-win question, this thing or this thing. We're going to see it again um, just a little bit later in this chapter, but this one happens to be about authority. Jesus has cleansed the temple. Jesus has you know, criticized. Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. Jesus has done these things that are outside of the pers a normal person's ability to do. And so the, the Pharisees, the trap they lay for him is, whose authority are you doing this on? Roman authority, Jewish authority, godly authority, human authority. Answer the question, where do you get this authority? And remember, early on in the Gospels, one of the things we get told about Jesus is that he amazed the people because he taught as one who had authority. So this idea... Um, and maybe the maybe the closest corollary word for us is something like power. It it is approval. Authority here does mean approval, but it but it also means ability. And so, wh where do you have? Where does the power to do this come from? By what power? By what authority do you do these things? And you know, obviously the gospels are very pro Jesus, but they're always written as if. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they, they think they've got him. Each and every time, mm -hmm. they think they have Jesus backed into a corner, only to have Jesus kind of uh, turn the tables on them. Yeah, Clint, this is a really interesting text because it kind of hits a lot of us in our blind spot because John the Baptist was a significant force in Jesus's day. In fact, the text makes it abundantly clear that John was even considered by the people to be a prophet. This is a very high status. People looked upon John very, very highly. And so the point being there is that Jesus 
responding to this trap laid out by the highest teachers of the land, right? The PhDs sitting in the very uh, most prestigious place of learning, the steward of uh, Israelite culture and religion. These people come to Jesus and they ask him, you know, by what authority are you doing these things? And when Jesus turns to ask a question about John the Baptist, he's calling upon the most common kind of conversations of the day. This is the stuff that people are talking about in the local synagogue. And in many ways, actually, Clint, there's a fascinating kind of turn that's happened in Luke. We've talked about this before, that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, we no longer hear about the Pharisees. We now hear about the teachers of the law, the scribes. Well, that population change actually matters in Jesus's culture and day because the Pharisees tended to be the religious leaders outside of the cosmopolitan Jerusalem. They were more located outside in the more rural areas of Jerusalem. They were the ones who were teaching the morality of the faith, sort of helping to make that a thing that people did in their everyday life. Now, in many ways, Jesus is making an argument that the the scri- are going to make the scribes very very uncomfortable because here John is considered to be a, a prophetic hero out amongst the country and amongst these religious leaders that he said things that uh, are looked upon very uh, highly and now when Jesus asks this question well, where did the baptism of John come from was it from God? Or was it from human origin? He, he's put the scribes into a no-win situation. Now, all that is maybe just a summary of the text, adds a little bit of background color. Clint, to your point, Luke is going to continue on with the same theme we've seen over and over again. No one gets the jump on Jesus. No one is going to make an argument, trap Jesus, and uh, make Jesus sort of give up uh, an argument or a cause. And and once again, we're not surprised when that happens here. Uh, but I think it's fascinating that regardless of whether it's the Pharisees in their place or the scribes and the teachers of the law in their place, Jesus always has an answer. He always has uh, something to account for, and he never misses a beat when it comes time to give it. Yeah. And Luke here, as sometimes happens in the gospels takes us through their reasoning we get we get to listen in as the scribes and the and the religious leaders the chief priests and the elders as luke describes it ha- have a conversation about how do we answer his question and so they end up saying we don't know now they have clearly have an opinion they they say that people think john was a prophet but in being forced to say, we don't have an answer, Jesus sort of one-ups them in their gamesmanship, and, and now they're in a position where they can't say either thing. We, again, we're, we're going to see this. Um, no one out-argues Jesus. It, it just doesn't happen. There is a, an interesting story with a woman who responds to Jesus, maybe pushes back a little, but when it comes to the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, whichever formula you get them described with, depending on which gospel you're in, they never, they never outfox Jesus. He he is always shrewd. He always, with wisdom and with kind of um, foresight and awareness, is always able to navigate navigate around the traps that they have set for him. And, and behind that, I, th- I think, you know, so we have that going on in the text. That's probably the obvious part of the text. 
I think the more interesting part of the text is this conversation about authority and the irony that you have humans endowed with some religious authority who are questioning the authority of the Messiah. Where do you get the authority, right? That's the question. If Jesus says from God, they will just complain that that he's arrogant, that he's deluded, that he's blaspheming. Though Jesus has established his credibility over and over and over again with what he's done, with what he said, with the healings and miracles, the, the, this isn't a real question. And, and that is always kind of the, the, the accusation or the hook or the evidence of their, you know, not being genuine. It, it, they're not asking Jesus. A re- they, they don't want to have a real question about Jesus. Where does authority come from? What authority do you have when you do these things? They're demanding an answer from Jesus. And Jesus refuses to play that game, I think largely because Jesus, he doesn't owe them an answer or an explanation. Yeah, and let's put this in context, Clint. So just yesterday, we were talking about our, the previous study. Jesus is cleansing the temple. He's getting rid of money changers. He's making a strong case about a misuse of power in God's place, in God's house. The place designated for the worship of God has been taken over by humanity's self-interest and particularly those with the most power. This is, of course, a theme that we've seen throughout Luke. Luke is interested in those who are weak, those who are lost, those who are looked over. Then this is really part one of a part two conversation because the parable that Jesus is going to give in part two of this conversation, that parable is going to lay out very clearly criticism against those people who have been charged with the furtherance of the worship of God. In other words, the people who are supposed to know better, the people who are supposed to lead others to Christ, or at least to recognize and accept the Messiah when he comes, these are the very ones who are acting uh, wickedly. They're the very ones acting in their own self-interest. And it betrays a kind of deep inner hypocrisy. It really exposes that these religious leaders have been interested in self-advancement and in the acquisition of power this whole time. They've not been interested in seeing with humble eyes, courageous eyes, the coming of the Messiah. And that uh, we're going to see that teased out more, I think, in the parable to come. But what we have in today's story, in, in this particular example, is we have individuals coming to Jesus trying to make a show of their intelligence. And what's going to end up happening, as we've seen time and time again, is they will meet their match in Jesus. As they come to question his authority, Jesus will subvert that question and make it so that they give account to where they think that authority is. And let's make that very clear. It's the people that they're afraid of. They're afraid that if they don't give the right answer, that the people will turn against them. And of course, Jesus's authority is not contingent upon what other people give him. It's rooted in who he is. He is the son of God. He is the revelation of God who's taken on flesh. So therefore, Jesus doesn't need approval. He doesn't need other people to give him a bone or a nod. Jesus doesn't need the scribes to like him, and he doesn't need the crowd to shout Hosanna, as we just had a few verses earlier. Jesus is who he is, and that's enough. It's the it's the chief priests who are 
trying to leverage what they have into something better for themselves. Yeah, and I think these things are not unrelated. Part of what we see in this week, as Luke describes it for us, is the turning of the crowd. The, the Pharisees are aware, just in yesterday's text, we ended with, they looked for a way to kill him, but they didn't find anything they could do, for the people were spellbound with what they heard. Here they, again, consider the reaction of the crowd, and throughout the week, the the Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, as Luke, sorry, I need to remember we're in Luke, the chief priests and scribes, as Luke is going to describe them, know that if they're going to get their way, if they're going to deal with Jesus, they're going to have to separate him from the crowd's approval. They're going to have to do something that undermines him or at least turn the crowd against him. And part of the, I think, the benefit of reading the Gospel of Luke, Luke backloads a lot of this stuff during Holy Week. So in Luke, a lot of this week is filled with discussions, with questions, with parables, with challenges. Um, we're going to see that interaction time and time again as as they try to trap Jesus and as they get angry with Jesus. Tomorrow, we'll hear Jesus tell a parable, and at the end, they're ready to attack him. But again, they know they can't. Luke says they were afraid of the people. And so um, Luke really does this, I think, very, very nicely for us by, by kind of housing all these conversations and these arguments and disagreements together and focusing on them as a part of Jesus last week, we really get to watch the kind of spiral downhill that the the, fair, the scribes, religious leaders become more and more desperate. They also become more and more committed. They then turn to, rather than being in the open, doing some things in secret, and ultimately they work on plying the crowd against Jesus. Now, that's true in all the Gospels, but I think it's particularly observable in the way Luke tells a story. We said this at the beginning of our study, that Luke is a master storyteller. He's an excellent writer. And I think that the way that Luke tells the story of Jesus's time in Jerusalem, this ultimate buildup to his death, is a beautiful masterclass in how you introduce the important characters. And this is happening right here in front of us. The chief priests are introduced as essential characters in this drama, but also the crowd, the people, uh, the, this whole gathered mass who are in Jerusalem for the Passover, that this whole group are a part of this story. And there's going to be more people to come, by the way. Luke is going to show us how this, like a wave, builds as it approaches the shoreline. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. There's going to be more momentum behind it. And what this serves to do uh, as readers is to make it clear to us that everyone in, in this story is implicated, that everyone's going to have a part and a role. Um, though, as Jesus does consistently, Clint, the people who have the highest position of power and are supposed to be entrusted with the furtherance of the people's faith and spiritual care, Jesus is consistently hardest on them. And that remains true in today's text. And it it is the really the starting gun for this wave of first, at least we could say suspicion, 
uh, we we might even say some hostility towards Jesus. But like you said, Clint, by the end of tomorrow, we're going to see it's not just a kind of intellectual hostility. It's a physical, visceral hostility, a desire to capture and do harm. And that's just simply going to rise in amplitude as the story goes on. But, but Luke is, he's building a full account of the ways in which Jesus both angered and also portrayed the difference of the kingdom of God. And, and that's all happening in real time in front of us. Absolutely. And this, this story, you know, obviously we read that and we see history. I, I think if we were going to try and take this out of its historical context and make it devotional, and, and we've said we'll do our best to tell you when we're doing that, and, and I'm certainly doing it here, I, I think the question of a text like this for us is, what is our authority? By what authority do we live? Is it the approval of others? Is it the approval of people who are quote unquote powerful? Or is it, as it is for Jesus, the, the foundational bedrock of what is right and wrong according to God? What What is the authority in our life and what does it lead us to do? Where do the decisions, what do we make most important? What do we put on uh, at level one in our life? And that's not, I mean, this isn't a devotional text in that sense, but I think that's one of the places we can kind of use as a jumping point to ask uh, application questions for what does this text say to us? What does it mean to us other than telling us how Jesus got sideways with religious leaders? Well, it says that first and foremost, that is a conflict of authority and who truly has authority, God or them, human or divine. And and I think that is a helpful kind of question for all of us in our own lives, Michael. Yeah, these chief religious leaders made the mistake of acting like Jesus's authority was somehow semi-equivalent to John the Baptist's authority. They they treat Jesus like a human to be debated with. That's a fundamental flaw. Or uh, as if he has to answer to them. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, have, they have, in doing so, at least, if you're going to be charitable, they've set themselves as equal to Jesus. If you're going to, I think, read this through the eyes of Luke, which I think is maybe more accurate, they've put themselves above Jesus. And yeah. that's checkmate. I mean, at the end of the day, game's over. Jesus is the revelation of God. And, and Luke's going to make it clear to us that uh, when we misprioritize, if you want to uh, read it in that way, when we do that, the kingdom of God has a way of sorting that out. Uh, even at our best effort to control and to exercise agency over God, we will at the end find ourselves subject to that kingdom, and that's going to be the way that this story continues to unfold. Yeah, the, the Bible doesn't do a lot of what we might call comedy, so maybe a better word is irony. But as you read this text, don't miss that part of it. These human beings demand to know by what authority the Son of God does what he does. That's, right. that, that's tragically funny right. that, they've, that they've missed it, that it's not hilarious funny. It's sadly funny. It's ironically funny. It, that these men are standing in front of of the Messiah of Israel, the promised covenant Savior of the world, 
and saying, hey, who told you you could do that? We didn't tell you. Yeah. Give us an answer. Answer. I mean, that, that that's both tragic and I, I think in a, in a sad way, maybe that's some comedy relief. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's just, absurd. That's it's a good word for it. absolutely absurd. And, and yet, and this is maybe the most humbling component, these are the ones with the most access to the scriptures and to the understanding of those scriptures. I, there's For all of us, th- this should be sobering, the idea that those who had dedicated their life to understanding God and God's future work in the world uh, were debating with the Son of God over authority. Uh, that That is uh, absurd, but it's also challenging. And so, anyways, I'm glad to have you with us here today. I hope there's been something interesting. This is a continued conversation tomorrow. Hope you'll join us for that. Till then, be blessed. Thanks, everybody.